I'm Jeff Stripling with 4S Ranch in Merritt, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Jessica Domo. Hello, Texas. It is great to have you once again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me, buckle up, and let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, drought continues to affect a large part of the Lone Star State right now, and that is impacting our crops. But there is a bright spot. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Jessica Domel, and I'm your host, and I'm part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. We're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. As the city of Amarillo looks to bring new food and agriculture-based business to the area, location is one of the assets it has to offer. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Searching for new seed varieties to meet the challenges ahead. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story from the Upper Gulf Coast on Texas Ag Today. It is extremely dry throughout Texas. Please be careful outside. Do not start a wildfire. This is Dr. Shay McClellan, and I'll have more from Waco. We'll have those stories, news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets coming up. A lack of precipitation is impacting crops all across the state, but there is a bright spot. Carrie Martin joins us with more. In a terrible drought year like this one, it's easy to focus on how bad everything is, and it is a bad year with Texas having the worst crop condition ratings in the nation right now. But there are pockets of our state where farmers are having a good year. One of those is the Rio Grande Valley, where farmers got some timely rains this spring that helped to make a great sorghum and corn crop. Bryce Wildey recently finished harvesting an excellent sorghum crop, where he says the rains came at just the right time, and he had very little insect problems like sugarcane aphids. No, sir. Very clean. No, we had a, we had a couple fields that we had to kind of tend to, but for the most part, uh, pretty pest-free. We were able to get everything in pretty early. It seemed like the later planted kind of into the early March, uh, which for us is a little bit late for this year. That's when you started seeing those pest issues. But, you know, we got in there early or late February and uh, early March, and, and so we were able to have some clean fields. Wildy is now in the middle of harvesting his corn crop, and he says it looks just as good as the sorghum did. And his cotton crop is coming along well. It's also looking fantastic. I think we would have liked to rain a couple weeks ago, but same story with that one. We had great start underground moisture, and you know we had that big rain that, that helps things move along. Um, so now we're just trying to finish out the top, top crop. Uh, but we're already starting to see in some places 5 to 10% open bowls. So uh, I, I think we, we might start seeing pickers rolling in our area probably, probably the middle of July 
is when things will probably start kicking off where we're at. Up in northeast Texas, Braden McKinnis says he's had some bad luck growing corn the last few years because he farms river bottoms that are constantly dealing with flooding. But he had a dry spring this year, and that was a big help. We flooded last year. We flew almost all our all of our nitrogen on by plane. 17 was our last good year, and it seems like every year we have bought excessive spring moisture. And when I mean excessive, I mean it's like you get east of 45, and we were just we were just catching huge, huge rains on little corn, and corn never forgets, you know. But, but if you get it too wet and let it run out of nitrogen get wet feet as we call it it just it seems like it never fully recovers and it's going to punish you at the end but no we've just we've had good weather on top of of drainage work and it's 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 done a lot for us this year northeast texas farmer braden mckinnis i'm carrie martin on the texas farm bureau radio network there are several things that make amarillo attractive to food businesses james hunt joins us with more As the city of Amarillo works to bring food processing companies to the area, the standard economic development tools like tax abatements and location incentive grants are what often make the headlines. But Kevin Carter, the president and CEO of the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation, says there are other assets that make the city attractive for those in the food business, including access to rail. We have some of the best rail in the country. We're located on the BNSF or the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Transcontinental Railroad that comes from Long Beach and comes through Amarillo and actually splits in Amarillo and goes to Alliance Airport or it stays on the main line and goes to Chicago. Carter says for companies that want to do business coast to coast, Amarillo is well situated geographically speaking. We are centered really right in the middle of the country. One of our board members, when I first got here, we we started using this tagline, we're really in the middle of everywhere. People say we're in the middle of nowhere, we're actually in the middle of everywhere. We're right in the middle of I-40, we're right in the middle of the country and perfectly located for reaching goods. Those who were around at the time the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation was created can recall that a big part of its mission was to bring new types of industry to the area. But Carter says agriculture remains a big part of the vision for Amarillo's future. Agriculture's been one of our staples since the beginning of Amarillo, that and the oil and gas industry. We were very fortunate to be able to diversify 30 or 40 years ago where we're not completely dependent upon agriculture and oil and gas, but Obviously, they're still one of our two or three main staples, and we certainly want to capitalize on the agricultural assets that we have here in Amarillo. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. New seed varieties can help farmers face challenges. Tom Nicoletti joins us with that story. My guest today is Matagorda County corn and cotton farmer Brian Rendeau. And uh, Brian, you attended a recent field day in Fort Bend County. Uh, Why was it important for you to attend the field day? I think one of the biggest things with uh, having these field days is the inputs are so expensive right now. You need to know that you're using every tool in the toolbox. You need to be efficient as possible. And I think knowing what's available to farmers and what tools are are an important part of that. So you saw various crop plots here at the DeKalb. Delta Pine Field Day. What uh, stands out the most for you as uh, what you saw out in the field? Looking at varieties, comparing each other. Uh, this year we've been under extreme extreme drought, as many people know. What might have done good last year might not be what's doing best this year based on the conditions, but uh, it's important to see that uh, they have represented
representation behind them and, and guys with knowledge to help us work through these different scenarios. Specifically about your crops, what are you projecting uh, moving forward as far as the harvest goes and what kind of yield? Me personally, on my crop, the last couple of years on corn, I've been averaging around 180 bushels and then in some cases having to irrigate to finish up or whatever. So I did irrigate twice and uh, I don't know that I'll hit the 180, but I'm aiming for 120, 150, somewhere in there, hopefully with the added expense. And what about your other crop? Uh, and then cotton, it uh, is in about full bloom and, and filling bowls and every day without rain is, is, is hurting it. it it's, it's tough out here. I, I always tell my wife, there's not many businesses that can handle the fluctuation in input cost and still survive. And, and farmers are doing their best to try and keep things going. Near the Texas coast, that is Matagorda County farmer Brian Rindo. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Drought means increased fire danger across much of Texas. Shane McClellan joins us from McLennan County in central Texas. It is dry throughout all of Texas. The environmental conditions we currently have are extremely dangerous when it comes to wildfires. All it takes is one spark, and the dry tinderbox we are currently living in can start burning. McLennan County uh, really is, is very dry. The last 365 days, depending on where you live in McLennan County, you either have had negative 16 or negative 2 inches when we look at the last year's rainfall. Not good. During drought and a high fire risk, burn bans are issued by a county judge or county commissioner's court, and it basically prohibits outdoor burning. It's just for public safety. It would be a good idea if you and your family had an emergency preparedness plan for a wildfire, uh, even if you live in town. It is a good idea to have a plan in place for emergencies. Uh, simple things like checking water hoses, water hose placement, filling a pump-up sprayer. If you're living out in the country, you've got ag equipment, checking pumps on those water tanks, four-wheeler spray tanks, etc., are all very important. When a fire is racing towards your barn, your home, your family, or even a neighbor, it is extremely important that you have all your stuff ready to go. We do not want to be fighting a pump or something that won't start when you need to be putting out water. It's also important your family knows their roles in an emergency situation, what to do, where to go, uh, where the emergency supplies are. The most important thing is, is to know where to go and who to contact. If you have small children, please help them learn who to call in emergency type uh, situations, firefighters, police, neighbors, etc. Um, you really need to have a, some kind of a preparedness plan for things to go bad. Uh, have, a, have a plan for evacuation where you need to go to. If you don't know your neighbors, go meet them. Get their phone number. So if there are bad things going on, you can call each other and communicate. Don't wait for an emergency to happen for you to think, oh, yeah, I need a plan. Uh, being prepared can save your home, your family, and your friends. Corn in Central Texas is being cut for silage. Some of it's going to be saved for shelling, but a large portion of it here in McLennan County is all going to silage. Just burning up. We're too dry. Cotton still looks good, but we need a timely rain very soon or it's going to run out of water. Pastures are extremely dry, like I mentioned. Uh, stock tanks are, if they're not dry, they're very low. There is a big sell-off of cattle at local cell barns as people are running out of grass and water. Hay prices are also inflated. It's another reason for some of the sell-off on cattle. People just don't want to spend that much on hay. But that hay price is high due to demand, the cost of fertilizer, which has gone through the roof, and chemical cost to spray for weeds. So there's, there's a reason why that hay price is as high as it is. Until next time, this has been Dr. Shane McLeod from Waco. A world-class team of researchers has been hard at work for the past few years studying West Matagorda Bay and why threatened and endangered sea turtles, shorebirds, and other wildlife call it home. We'll have that coming up in our next segment. 
If you have a diabetic dog or cat, glucose testing may now be easier on both the pet and the pet owner. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd will have more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Testing a dog or cat's blood glucose levels can be difficult on both the pet and the pet owner, but some relief may be in sight. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. Diabetes mellitus is not uncommon in dogs and cats, and although we are able to treat diabetes successfully with insulin injections, the most difficult part of the treatment is monitoring the blood glucose. Making sure the blood glucose level is in the correct range is critical for successful treatment. Too high of a level indicates the treatment is not effective, and too low of a level can cause seizures or even death. Historically, the blood glucose has been checked on an intermittent basis, and this is unreliable, so the best method is to get the patient in the vet clinic and perform a blood glucose curve. This involves taking small blood samples every two hours for 12 hours to determine the lowest and highest point. However, this can be expensive and requires a lot of blood sticks in one day. A test called a fructosamine test can be used to determine the average glucose control over a three-week period, but may not recognize intermittent low blood glucose levels. Monitoring of glucose levels in humans is now commonly performed using a patch on the skin, which eliminates having to have a prick on the finger. And this technology is also being used used in dogs and cats. One unit is called the Freestyle Libri, and it is attached to the dog's or cat's skin with adhesive. We usually will have a pet wear a t-shirt over the area to protect the unit from scratching. The unit checks the glucose level every minute, and the owner needs to save the data every eight hours. The unit is effective for two weeks and does a great job monitoring glucose levels. So if you have a dog or cat with diabetes and have a difficult time monitoring the glucose levels, ask your veterinarian about the Freestyle Libri. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. To protect threatened and endangered sea turtles and the habitats they need to survive in, a world-class team of researchers has been hard at work for the past few years studying West Matagorda Bay, its inhabitants, and why sea turtles, shorebirds, and other wildlife choose to call it home. Dr. Pamela Plotkin, director of the Texas Sea Grant College Program at Texas A&M University, has studied sea turtles for over 35 years all over the world. She joins us with more on the Matagorda Bay Ecosystem Assessment. All of the sea turtles in Texas are considered threatened or endangered. Researchers who study sea turtles typically will study just the sea turtle. Sometimes they'll study the sea turtle and maybe the foods that the sea turtle eats. But no one has ever looked at 
the entire ecosystem. So in the Matagorda Bay ecosystem assessment, we had a team working on water. They were looking at water temperature. They were looking at water salinity. They were looking at water quality in terms of oxygen and, and some of the nutrients that run off into the waters. And then we had a team that was working on the oysters. Now we had a team that was working on the fish and a team working on the seagrass and other things that are on the bottom of the bay. And and mapping the bay floor and looking at the crabs and the shrimp and the other invertebrates there. So it's really the first of its kind study that is doing that with a sea turtle sort of at the center of the project. We'll have more on this research with Dr. Pamela Plotkin on our next show. Recession fears took a toll on the commodity markets on Tuesday. How did they fare on Wednesday? We'll take a look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it here on Texas Ag Today. Texas youth can expect the best in life by holding themselves to the highest standards. And the Texas Farm Bureau can help students put together the pieces that make up a successful leader. Through our Student Success Series, students in 8th through 12th grade can learn more about leadership, networking, and personal professionalism. Registration for Student Success Series is open now. Find out more information at texasfarmbureau.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Despite higher grain prices, the cattle complex traded higher on Wednesday. August live cattle up $1.57 to $134.50. October live cattle up $1.47 to $139.95. August feeder cattle up $0.60 cents to $173.30. September feeder cattle up $0.97 cents to $177.07. Boxed beef was higher Wednesday. Choice up $3.58 to $268.24. Select up $2.05 to $241.92. Now let's check the livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Livestock auctions for the most part are closed on Monday and Tuesday, some of them even Wednesday of this July the 4th week. So let's step back to Thursday's cattle sale in San Saba with Ken Jordan. Ken, how'd it go? You bet, Larry. Had a good run day. We're just a few head shy of 2,400 head. Had a good group of cows here, both on the Packer side and some stalker cows too. And a lot of good uh, calves and yearlings available. I thought overall this week demand continued very, very good on a very active market. Thought we'd get into the lighter cattle at stalker steers and heifers. Both sold fully steady. Had a real group, good group of five steers with 509 at a buck 97. Uh, that's a little over $1,003 on those cattle. I thought the bigger cattle going in after last week's increase here since Thursday. We did see an increase Monday from the previous week, but over here we're probably steady after last week's increase on the bigger cattle, the feeder steers and heifers. I thought overall packer cows, they sold steady again this week. Still a lot of active trade, even those numbers, a good bit of numbers are moving. Uh, I thought our pears and bread cows, they were steady to $50 higher on some classes, Larry. Overall, very uh, strong tone again on the market today. Give us the phone number of the website. You bet, Eric. 325-372-5159. Website, jordancattle.com. Larry. For Texas Farm Bureau Radio and me, Larry Marble. I'm Larry Marble. See you tomorrow. 
After seeing triple-digit gains in the lean hog markets on Tuesday, we again saw gains on Wednesday. July lean hogs up a dollar to 113.15. August lean hogs up $3.25 to 109.20. There was good movement of pork over the 4th of July weekend, and that has boosted buying this week. Block cheese was unchanged Wednesday at $2.08. Barrel cheese rose a quarter of a cent to $3.16. Class 3 milk traded mixed for much of the day on Wednesday as traders eye demand. July Class 3 milk up 32 cents to 22.42 a hundredweight. August Class 3 milk down 16 cents to 21.52 a hundredweight. After closing limit down on Tuesday, cotton traded in expanded limits on Wednesday, and we saw triple-digit losses. October cotton down 499 points to 96.39. December cotton down 487 points to 88.61. Analysts say that is the first time we've seen cotton below 90 cents since December of 2021. December 2023 cotton down 355 points to 74.48. Analysts say part of the decline could be due to new COVID outbreaks in China. If lockdowns are implemented there, that could impact cotton demand. By the way, the U.S. Department of Agriculture released new data this week. 36% of the U.S. cotton crop is rated good to excellent. That is one percentage point lower than last week. Thanks to solid demand, we saw corn trade higher on Wednesday afternoon. July corn up eight and a quarter to seven forty-four and a quarter. September corn up seven and a half to five ninety-nine and three quarters. December corn up six and a half to five eighty-five even. USDA rates sixty-four percent of the U.S. corn crop good to excellent. That is three percentage points lower than last week's report. July hard red wheat fell 11 Wednesday to 8.49 and a quarter. September hard red wheat down 10 and a half to 8.51 and a half. August natural gas fell a penny to 5.51. September natural gas even at 5.48. Recession fears pushed crude oil prices lower on Wednesday. August West Texas intermediate crude down a dollar eight to 98.42. September crude oil down a dollar seventy to 94.82 a barrel. The Dow was up 155 points Wednesday to 31,123. The S&P 500 up 25 points to 3,857. The Nasdaq up 78 points to 11,400. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Be sure to join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.